This is the Public News Service Daily Newscast, March 30, 2022. I'm Roz Brown. The region known as Tornado Alley is shifting farther into Texas, according to climate experts who say the warming climate is largely to blame. Tornado Alley now includes more parts of Texas than it once did, according to climate science professionals who say climate change could be the reason. Texas State climatologist John Nielsen Gammon, who's also a Texas A&M professor, says although the blame can't be pinned only on climate change, studies do show warmer climate is a key ingredient for severe weather. Gammon says it's a particular combination of events that causes storms, snow, and fires if it happens at the right time of year. If you have an intense frontal system moving across northern Texas, you'll automatically get Very strong winds, dry air moving from west to east. Um, And if it's early enough in the severe weather season, then the air north of that can potentially be cold enough to allow snow. This unusual weather mix last happened in 2009. This week, the threat of severe weather continues. I'm Epiphany Lachey. A bill in the Ohio legislature could help businesses struggling to find workers by expanding the hours young teens can work. Under current laws, 14- and 15-year-old workers are not permitted to work after 7 p.m. during the school year and 9 p.m. in the summer. Senate Bill 251 would extend the time to 9 p.m. year-round. Mike Todd owns two Dairy Queens in Northeast Ohio and says more than half of his employees are high school age, and he's seen an increase in applicants under age 16. We want people who want to work, and the majority of applications that we have received at our business show us that these young people want to work and they want the job and they want the experience of having their own money and having their own set of responsibilities. Teens would still be limited to working no more than three hours a day and 18 hours in a week. The outcome of Senate Bill 251 might hinge on federal action, though, as the federal government still limits the hours teenagers can work. Senate Bill 251 had a third hearing in the Senate Workforce and Higher Education Committee in February. John Bolton, the former national security advisor in the Trump administration, told CBS News Tuesday that he had heard former President Donald Trump use the phrase burner phones in several discussions, and the former president knew what it meant. White House records obtained by CBS News and The Washington Post show Trump did not use his phone for over seven hours on January 6, 2021, during the attack on the U.S. Capitol. They report the House Select Committee investigating the attack is looking into whether he used a burner phone or a personal disposable phone whose contacts could not be traced. In response, the former president said he had never heard of the phrase burner phone. This is PNS. Illinois lawmakers have passed a bill to help make sure you get the advertised sale price at the grocery store. The measure is sponsored by Senator Meg Logren Kappel of Shorewood and requires supermarkets to show both the original price and discounted price at the register, on the receipt, or on a store display. The bill provides an exception for purchases made via self-service checkout or at wholesale clubs. And lastly, the bill provides that a store shall not be fined more than $500 per year. The legislation now needs to be signed into law by the governor. The Illinois State Police is set to celebrate its 100th anniversary. The State Police began April 1, 1922, with a director and eight highway patrolmen. The mission originally was to protect new roads from damage by heavy trucks. Since then, the ISP has evolved to include criminal investigations, forensics, air support, canine units, and more, says Governor J.B. Pritzker. 
The makeup of the ranks of our state troopers has changed too. Women and people of color weren't allowed to serve 100 years ago. Today, they are among ISP's highest ranks. The state police now has more than 2,900 employees, including 1,800-plus sworn officers. The governor says he wants to see more troopers and forensic scientists added in the coming year. New legislation cracks down on gangs stealing from stores in Illinois. The bill creates the offense of organized retail crime, which has become a big problem, says Senator Susie Glowiak-Hilton of Western Springs. It is not the intent to prosecute two high school girls that go into a drugstore and steal a lipstick. That is not what this is looking to do. The bill specifically requires prosecutors to prove that something was stolen and that the intent is to resell that item. Glowiak Hilton says gangs have increasingly been using these smash and grabs to fund their illegal activities. The bill also dedicates more resources to law enforcement and gives prosecutors more authority to go after perpetrators. It also gives prosecutors more authority to go after these criminals, says Senator John Curran of Downers Grove. The provisions should serve as a strong deterrent to retail theft and the real resale of stolen merchandise. And even more important, it empowers our law enforcement officials to get these criminals off the street and held accountable for their actions. The bill has bipartisan support as well as backing from the Illinois Attorney General's Office and Retail Merchants Association. Senate Democrats are pushing a package of bills that they say will help get Illinois families back on their feet. The legislation includes an expansion of the state's earned income tax credit and the creation of an Illinois child tax credit, sponsored by Senator Mike Simmons of Chicago. It would provide a $600 credit per child for households in the state for which you have a single filer who earns under $40,000 per year and a household with joint filers that earn under $60,000 per year per child. Other proposals increase funding for early childhood education programs and make more families eligible for child care assistance and is sponsored by Senator Omar Aquino of Chicago. He says the credit has become one of the most effective anti-poverty programs in the country. This expansion would reach directly to 1.6 million households, 1.2 million uh, people would be newly eligible, and the bill would also create $1 billion in benefits to local economies. The package also includes legislation to make more families eligible for child care assistance. At the state capitol, I'm Kim Howard. The budget I'm releasing today makes prudent investments in economic growth and more equitable economy while making President Biden sending to Congress Monday his $5.8 trillion proposed budget for fiscal year 2023, which begins October 1st. The budget proposal includes, of course, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the proposed spending for USDA, just over $31 billion, which would be just over $2.5 billion more than what was enacted for this fiscal year. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in a statement Monday said the budget contains what he calls transformational investments that will boost rural communities communities and ag producers, helping them to be more economically viable, more resilient to climate change. The budget also has more money for nutrition assistance programs, for bringing high-speed internet to everyone, and for research. Of course, the administration's budget proposal is just that, a proposal, or what Tom Vilsack calls a statement of intent. But as always on Money Matters, Congress will have the final say. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Technical assistance is now available for applicants of USDA meat and poultry 
Poultry Processing Capacity Grants. We've announced three different technical assistance providers, and this is really about partnering with and being a resource for potential applicants and applicants to help navigate the grant application process. Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs Jenny Moffitt says processors and applicants involved in either the Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant or Meat and Poultry Processing Expansion Program can access this technical assistance. To be able to do anything from things like a feasibility study all the way to actually helping and support to write the grant application and then also to grant implementation as well. Details are available online at www.usda.gov slash meet. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The vast majority of the country expecting near to above normal temperatures and near to above normal precipitation as we move into this early April period. Now, the greatest likelihood of warm conditions will be in the West, particularly across California and the Great Basin. Cooler than normal conditions should be confined to the Mid-South and the Tennessee and Ohio Valleys. Now, in terms of precipitation, the greatest likelihood of those wet conditions will be across the South and the Eastern United States. Now, unfortunately, much of the far West will be drier than normal, though. That does include Northern and Central California, the Great Basin, and parts of the Intermountain West. Supporting university-level research to treat and eradicate livestock diseases. We announced an investment of over $13 million in research that really explores some of these novel therapies and prevention strategies for animal diseases that are really costing the agricultural industry billions of dollars worldwide. National Institute of Food and Agriculture Administrator Carrie Castile says 24 grants under the Agriculture and Food Research Initiative will support projects at 17 universities focused on disease prevention, vaccine development, and management strategies to maintain ag animal health. One example of such projects is found at Cornell University. Cornell Research will develop more effective vaccines for swine influenza virus to the tune of almost $650,000. Very fortunate that we have the partners that are really leaning in and committing with us to be able to address these challenges. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glauber's tenure at the department included times that noted food security concerns in parts of the globe, from events such as the recession of 2007-2008. Yet when it comes to potential impacts resulting from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, this feels a lot different. Glauber speaking at a recent Farm Foundation forum says nations are considering how important an export commodity might be from both a consumption and income impact. Because in some cases, actually higher grain prices are going to help farmers within that country. And we've seen that certainly in prior episodes like 2010, 11, or 2007, 8. We actually saw some areas farm income actually going up in parts of the developing world. He adds, unlike past events where the U.S. dollar was weak during times of high commodity prices, the dollar is currently strong overseas, even with increasing prices for farm goods. If you're a country that's buying in dollars using your local currencies, and your currency is weakened substantially with the dollar, it's gone up even more. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The birth of a tech giant and the launch of a popular email service are among the notable events in tech history that we're remembering this week. 
I'm Dave Graveline for Into Tomorrow. Chris Graveline has these and other tidbits from the tech world of yesterday. This week, back in 1797, Nathaniel Briggs of New Hampshire patented an early form of washing machine for clothes called the Box Mangler. It had a large box filled with rocks on a series of rollers. Two people moved the box back and forth in order to clean the clothes. In 1976, Apple was formed by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne. And this week in 2004, Google announced a new service to the public, codenamed Caribou. The project's real name was Gmail, and it quickly became one of the most popular email services around. Be sure to check out Chris's video every week of This Week in Tech History. And be sure to catch our three-hour weekly show. All of it at intotomorrow.com. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. For the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, this is the news from rural America. The citizen Potawatomi Nation is the first tribe in Oklahoma to own a professional sports team called the Potawatomi Fire. Head coach Derek Rowland says a sports team is a huge asset to any community. We're the schools, the businesses, the fire, the police. Everyone gets involved. It changes lives. The team started its inaugural season this month with the Basketball League, known as TBL, a minor league basketball organization. South Dakota's Rosebud Sioux Tribe, also known as Sichongayute, has cultivated the largest native-managed buffalo herd in the world. Erin Epps leads Wallacota, a project that means the Lakota way of life. It's an idea that's been around really for generations due to the historical connection and spiritual and cultural significance of buffalo to the Lakota people. A recent study found reintroduction of bison to northern Great Plains tribal lands can help restore the prairie ecosystem. You know, we're managing the land for ecological outputs and and soil health. With spring's arrival, farmers face another challenge. A handful of corporations are blamed for skyrocketing fertilizer prices. Xander Brown has more. The price of fertilizer has grown exponentially. According to Joe Maxwell, president of Farm Action and Missouri's former lieutenant governor, fertilizer is yet another battleground for antitrust laws, food supply, and the farmer's wallet. It's complex, but its complexity should not stop us and our government from going after these companies. Only four corporations, CF Industries, Nutrien, Coke, and Yar USA, provide 75% of the nitrogen fertilizer for the country. Maxwell thinks the rising price of fertilizer shows that mergers have undercut competition. These companies came in and they are extracting all of the money that is made within that food chain out of the food chain, leaving nothing behind for the rural community. Rising prices signal to Maxwell that although fertilizer is a staple in crop production, alternative growing methods may help curb dependency. I'm Xander Brown. 
New Mexico knows firsthand that improving soil is an uphill battle. Already dubbed first among U.S. states facing extreme water stress due to climate change by the World Resources Institute, it now boasts more soil health champions than any other state. We're a diverse group of people who care about the life force of soil. Rob Hirsch with the Healthy Soil Working Group says New Mexico doesn't produce most of its food despite being famous for hatched chili peppers and pecans. Hirsch is encouraged by more money allocated to the New Mexico Healthy Soil Act, which will help residents implement healthy soil conservation projects. Soil is a most precious life force fundamental to our well-being and we should invest majorly in it here in the land of enchantment. For the Daily Yonder and Public News Service, I'm Roz Brown. For more rural stories, visit dailyyonder.com. Welcome to 2022 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. So we ought not be fooling, and nobody should be fooling ourselves, by the Kremlin's now recent claim that it will suddenly just reduce military attacks near Kyiv. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said Russian movement away from Kyiv may be a repositioning rather than a withdrawal, tempering optimism over the potential for peace. General Todd Wolters, head of the U.S.-European Command, told senators American troops are helping secure the Polish side of the Ukraine border. So that force has been integral to ensure that the four million-plus refugees from Ukraine Uh, have a soft landing once they come into Europe. President Biden met Tuesday with Singaporean Prime Minister Lee Shin Long, who said the two countries are strengthening ties. We reaffirm the long-standing and multifaceted partnership between Singapore and the U.S. and our shared commitment to a stable, rules-based global order. Biden also signed legislation to make lynching a federal hate crime, punishable by 30 years in prison. The legislation is named for Emmett Till, whose lynching in 1955 and open casket funeral helped fuel the civil rights movement. Economists say supply chain disruptions will continue to affect the U.S. economy after Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent oil prices surging. White House Council of Economic Advisers Chair Cecilia Rouse reiterated pocketbooks will feel the sting. We can expect that while our sanctions are going to have their focus and most of their impact on the Russian economy, that we can expect that we will see a bit of impact in the United States as well. The FDA approved a second coronavirus booster for people 50 and older to help ward off a potential spike of an Omicron subvariant. Manuel Gordillo, medical director at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, said vaccines should hold up against new variants. It's clear that, at least for Delta, the vaccine works very well. So there is no reason for concern with Delta that we're going to have a problem with vaccine escapes. Patient advocates and healthcare experts testified Tuesday before Senate lawmakers about medical debt. Robin King, a teacher in Cleveland, Ohio, recently received $70,000 in surprise medical bills from her mother's nursing home. I was shocked when the nursing home told me in May 2020 that mom's Medicaid had not been reapproved and that I was now responsible for paying a huge bill. And in Kentucky, Quintez Brown, a man who police said fired a handgun at a Louisville mayoral candidate, has been indicted by a grand jury on one count of attempted murder and four counts of first-degree wanton endangerment. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Let's check Ag News on the RFD Radio Network. I'm DeLos Yonke. 
likely the opposite of normal march, in this case, in like a lamb, out like a lion. DTN Ag Meteorologist John Baranek visited with our Jim Taylor yesterday for RFD Today. Today's rain could have, in some cases, more than two inches if you get under a thunderstorm. And then there are plenty of other opportunities between now and mid-April for wet weather. In the first half of April, we're looking kind of, you know, wishy-washy with a lot of up and downs, not to the extreme that we saw in March. You know, we were kind of well below, then well above, then well below. And, you know, tomorrow on Wednesday here, we're going to be well above normal again and then kind of move down below normal again. But we're going to see several systems move through. We got another one coming through on the weekend, may or may not produce some showers. Models have some, you know, mixed feelings on how that will all develop. But uh, we've got chances across the state here for, for pretty much on Saturday. Uh, and then we got another system moving through kind of early next week. We should stay on the warmer side of that one, so we shouldn't look at any snow potential for that one. But thunderstorms will be possible again. And then uh, later in the week, going into the weekend there, towards the middle of, of April there, we got another storm system moving through. So it's springtime where we should expect storm systems to continue to move through. And we're kind of in that pattern and, and you know, where we've, we've been pretty wet for most of the state. And, uh, you know, we're going to just keep on adding to that. It's going to be a little bit difficult for some of these folks out there to, to, to get out in the field and, uh, and work it. John Baranek, DTN Ag Meteorologist, yesterday with our Jim Taylor. D.C. Now Policy News revised cattle market reform legislation is out and awaiting a Senate hearing. One of its authors concedes White House backing is still uncertain. RFD's Washington correspondent Matt Kay reports. Chief sponsor of the bipartisan Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act, Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, says both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue have been involved with his bill. We've worked for months with Secretary Vilsack and the USDA staff and also with the Senate Ag Committee to uh, make technical changes so that uh, USDA can effectively implement the legislation. Uh, we heard from stakeholders who wanted to make sure that all big four packing plants would be covered. But has that won over the White House and President Biden, who also blames meat packing industry concentration for high prices? They have not endorsed our legislation. But I think with Secretary Vilsack working so closely with us, and a Democrat chairman of the Agriculture Committee working with us, that there's no doubt that we got something that the president would sign. The president's never said that, and I can't put words in his mouth, but I believe we're on the right track. Grassley argues there's never been this much momentum for broader price reporting and regional negotiated pricing at the grassroots and in Congress, despite opposition from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the American Farm Bureau. I'm confident we have the votes in the Senate Ag Committee to get this done. Grassley doesn't have a hearing date yet, but says he and co-sponsor Deb Fisher are asking Chair Debbie Stabenow to schedule one, probably likely after the Easter Passover break. For the RFD Radio Network, Matt Kay on Capitol Hill. USDA has finalized long-awaited reforms to a rule for transitioning dairy herds under the National Organic Program, the Origin of Livestock Rule will take effect later this spring. You can read about it at farmweeknow.com. It's the RFD Radio Network. 
With the RFD Ag Market Summary for this Wednesday morning, I'm Jim Taylor. Corn, beans, and wheat all ending Tuesday double-digit lower. May corn closing at 726 and a quarter, down 22 and a quarter. July corn down 22, 708 and a half. December corn, 652 and three quarters, down 11 and three quarters. May beans closing at 1643, down 21 and a quarter. July beans down 23, 1623 and three quarters. November beans, 1448 and a half, down 20 and a quarter. May wheat, 1014 and a quarter, down 42 and three quarters. July wheat, down 42 and a quarter, 1009 and a quarter. September wheat, 998, down 40. May bean meal, 466 even, down 1290. May bean oil, 7166, down 79 cents. And current electronic overnight trading, May corn up five and a half. July corn up a nickel. And December corn, 656 and a quarter, up three and a half. May beans in the overnight up three. July beans up two. And November beans, 1452 and three quarters, up four and a quarter. May wheat in the overnight down four and a half. July wheat down six and a half. September wheat, 991 and a quarter, down six and three quarters. In the outside markets, May Brent crude oil down 225 a barrel. 11023 the June gold contract up 650 this morning 192450 in the livestock market from Tuesday April live cattle 14090 up 60 cents June live cattle up 170 13847 March feeders 15670 up 60 cents April feeder cattle up 352 16435 April lean hogs 10605 down 152 May lean hogs down 52 cents 11877 Cash livestock, Fairview sale barn this week. Steers, 149.50 the top. The Illinois direct barrels and gilts trading steady on Tuesday at 66 to 73. That's the RFD Ag Market Summary for this Wednesday morning. You're listening to the RFD Radio Network. Let's check daily livestock news on the RFD Radio Network for a Tuesday. I'm Jim Taylor. U.S. cattle groups applauding the announcement of an agreement between the U.S. and Japan on American beef imports. Both countries entered consultations after the beef tariff safeguard got triggered back in March of 2021. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association strongly supports efforts to improve the beef tariff safeguard that benefits both Japanese consumers and American cattle producers. The agreement includes a new three-trigger mechanism, and all three must get hit for Japan to put the safeguard in place and raise the beef tariff. Now, it's unknown when the agreement goes into effect because the text must get published and Japan's parliament must approve the agreement. That's a check of daily livestock news for a Tuesday. You're listening to the RFD Radio Network. Good morning, this is Dan Hicks from Freezotus Weather with the early morning weather update on the RFD radio network on this Wednesday morning. Warmer temperatures have been spreading northward across the Midwest during the past 12 to 24 hours. Daytime highs yesterday were in the 40s across much of northern and central Illinois, ranging up into the low 70s in the far south. Temperatures have been steady or slowly rising in many areas overnight. Early morning readings are in the 40s in the north, ranging up to near 70 in the far south. Some scattered showers and thunderstorms have been working their way eastward across the western half of the Midwest since late yesterday through last night. The storm system will continue to affect Illinois today into the day on Thursday. Temperatures will be fairly mild today with highs from the 50s in the northern part of the state to the 70s in the south. 
There will be increasing coverage of showers and thunderstorms across the state today into tonight. The potential for a few strong to severe thunderstorms this afternoon and this evening. On the back side of this system, windy cooler conditions will make a return to the region tomorrow into tomorrow night, and this precipitation may end as some light snow in the far northern part of the state. Daytime highs tomorrow will cool down into the upper 30s and 40s in the northern half of the state, 40s and 50s farther south. Total precipitation amounts from this system in the half-inch to inch-and-a-half range are expected into the day on Thursday. Some brief dry time is expected late this week into the early part of the weekend, with temperatures warming somewhat again on Friday. Additional precipitation chances will return this weekend. 6- to 10-day precipitation should average fairly close to normal, with 6- to 10-day temperatures also close to normal. The first part of that period will be cooler than normal, with some warming later in the 6- to 10-day. Once again, I'm Dan Hicks from Freeze Notice Weather.